This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. I'm reminded of Paul as he's going into Corinth. He's in a season of life where he is weary and troubled. He's in distress and he's fearful and trembling. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3 that he is all these things as he goes into the city of Corinth. And at Corinth he finds strength in the Lord. And it's writing back to that church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that he writes back to them them and says, hey, as you're gathering together, remember what Christ has done for you. Remember the body that was given for you, the blood that was given for you so that you might have freedom from sin and forgiveness from sin. That we might have life instead of death. That we might be raised from the dead and trust that God has given us everlasting life. And if you believe that with me today, I think it's the greatest proclamation of the gospel because Paul says, as we do this, we all, the whole church in one united way, describe and declare the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by taking the Lord's Supper. If you in here with me have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, This is the active declaration of that baptism ongoing in your life. I believe, I believe, I believe. And it's proclaiming a gospel message every Sunday. And every time we gather together, it's proclaiming, God, we believe. So church, if you believe with me, let's take the Lord's Supper. Now I'm gonna give you moments because Paul asks us, he says, look into your hearts. He says, evaluate your hearts and see what's within. If there's dissension with a brother or sister in this room, if there's a struggle, a temptation that you have not given over to the Lord, confess your sins. He is faithful and just. He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've not given those things over to the Lord, I I encourage you during this time, we're gonna sing a song called It Is Well. And it's kind of like what Paul's doing. God, it is well with my soul. I'm going to be strengthened by you, not by the things of this world, and declare that you are a God who is worthy to be praised. So if you will, join me. Join me in declaring that God is king, that his life, death, and resurrection has transformed your life by partaking in the Lord's Supper. We're going to give you time to do that. Just moments. uh, During this song, we're going to lead it out for you. But at any point, don't feel rushed, but evaluating your heart and remembering what Christ did, take your time to do it in your moment whenever you feel like God is ushering you into that time in your own heart, partake in the Lord's Supper as a united front to declare, we believe as a gospel proclamation. If you are in here today and you've never believed in Jesus Christ, would you see your brothers and sisters around you declaring through the Lord's Supper that they believe? And if you don't believe, I encourage you to listen into the sermon, but also even before that, maybe take somebody in this room that you see doing the Lord's Supper aside and say, hey, can you tell me more about this gospel message? So as we partake in the Lord's Supper and declare that he is king, we're going to worship together. I'm going to ask my wife, Rachel, to, to lead us in prayer as we go into a time of Lord's Supper, and we're going to continue to worship. Lord, we just come to you in this moment, Father, and we reflect, God, on what you've done for us. 
God, the gift of your son, your body, your blood, Father. God, we praise you for that gift. May we never take that lightly, God. As we have these moments right now, Father, just allow, allow us, Father, to feel the weight of that. Feel the weight of what you felt, Father, in giving your life so that we could have eternal life with you one day. We praise you, Father. We love you.
we praise you, we love you. Thank you for this time that we've had to worship you. Thank you for this time that we've had to be in your presence. God, you are so good and kind to meet with us. Father, we pray as we move into a time of scripture, God, move in our hearts and our lives. Allow us to hear from you today in a way that moves us. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. Man, that horrible moment when you realize that your mic was not muted during worship and you don't have a good voice. Did you have me muted? You the man. Saved by the tech team. Live stream, I apologize if I was not in fact muted. Come on, church. <laughs> Gotta laugh a little bit. Can you imagine if I put you up here with a microphone? You know what I'm talking about, Braden? You feel me? Come on. And the whole band's playing so loud you don't know you're actually singing. I mean, come on. It's like you're driving in the car and somebody's singing, and all of a sudden they mute it on you and you're singing still so loud, and everybody's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be singing. <laughs> Just, anyways. Y'all have to go back and watch the live stream and make fun of me. It'd be great. Um, anyways, sometimes we just need to laugh a little bit. Y'all with me? Acts chapter 18 teaches us that in every season, God brings us a strength that we need to face the weakness, the trembling, the fear. In every season, he can provide what we need to face the difficult seasons, the difficult trials, in the times where we feel just that weariness welling up, we don't feel like we can move forward, there's strength in the Lord. I think that often we talk about this in Scripture, and you may hear me say this quite often because it's what Scripture's dealing with. Once Christ leaves and gives the Holy Spirit to the disciples and they go and make disciples, they face persecution after persecution and trial after trial. I hope that when we gather together as brothers and sisters, we are encouraging one another to the point where we recognize that sometimes we just need to get back together and go, hey, look, I know you face a difficult week mentally, physically, relationally. You had to process through a lot of different things, make a lot of decisions, and some of those decisions you might not even feel were right. You might be reflecting on those right now in these moments. You might be reflecting on the, the hurt that you experienced this week. And as you reflect on those things and gather together as a church, we're not just a church that comes in here and just like, oh, everything's fine. Like, hopefully we're not like the culture where you say, how you doing today? Doing good. Man, the reality is if you asked Paul how he was doing, he'd be like, man, I just got beaten. I was just in jail. Been shipwrecked. Nobody listens to me, the message that I have to say about the guy that saved my life. Like, there are so many things that are like real and raw. When we get to chapter 18, here's the thing. Paul is walking into a city that's going to be his most difficult church to deal with. This is the church of immorality that he writes back first and second Corinthians and probably at least two other letters that we don't know about. He's writing back these letters in just constant communication with this church at Corinth, and he struggles with them. They make mistakes, and he's writing back like, come on, would you, make, would you change your ways? In fact, he actually puts more mandates, like expectations on them than he does a lot of other churches because of what they're dealing with. 
They have so many things that they've, they've engaged in and the city around them is so corrupt that he's like, hey man, you might want to abstain from this. I think it's a good, a good challenge for us because though we have freedom, though we as Christians have freedom, sometimes we're in a place where we're like, hey, look, I might need to go above and beyond here. I know I don't have to, but for my brothers and sisters or for my own temptations and struggles, I need to go above and beyond. It's like Hosea and Gomer. We see a demonstration of that with Gomer. She says, man, I need to take a season where I separate myself away from the sin that I was engaged in so that I can get myself right, come back to my husband and be with him in a pure way. Like we need to take seasons in our life where we go, God, I'm going to pursue after you. That's what we're going to see Paul do. This is what his Corinthian experience is going to be like. And I'm asking you this morning, no matter what season you're in in your life, to look at the things around you and ask this question, are the things of this world bringing you strength or weakness? And is there a God who loves you infinitely and extends so much grace to you and so much power through his spirit into your life that you can cling on to him like Paul in Corinth and ask God to strengthen you? Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. Corinth had about 80,000 people in it, 20,000 people surrounding it. They would swell a little bit. The theater alone held 15,000 people. It's a significant city, but it was destroyed about 180 years before what we're, or 200 years before what we're reading here. In that time, they filled it back up with veterans from the Roman uh, Empire. They would, uh, when veterans came out, they would plant these guys in new cities to establish cities that were Roman. They were nationalistic. They supported their Caesar. They wanted what was best for Rome. And so they would make these cities that were highly Roman, like they would be devout to Roman. Corinth, before Rome, was Greek. They didn't like the Romans. Athens was Greek. They didn't like the Romans. Athens now doesn't like Corinth. Why? Because Corinth has been filled up with Romans. Athens still held its dignity. They believed they were smarter. They would believe that they had better decision-making and philosophy and morality than the Corinthians. And so a lot of times we see the Corinthians through the lens of Athens. Because Athens was the education, the academic epicenter of the world, they often would write about other cities. Well, they didn't like Corinth. So a lot of what you read, you may see often somebody say something to the extent of, well, Corinth was just full of sin and debauchery. True. It is true. But it was also oftentimes seen through the lens of their enemies. Now, when you write about your enemies or talk about your enemies, do you bring out the best? No. Now, we ought to shift how we do that. But a lot of times in our flesh, in our struggles, we oftentimes, as we talk about our enemies or those we're frustrated with, we talk about their negative things, the flaws about them, their struggles. We bring out those in our enemies, and, we, and then we tell the other people about it. So that's what Athens really did with Corinth. But what we're going to see Paul do is engage those negative things, which were realities, because they had temples that were filled with prostitutes and sexual immorality filled the, this city to the point where he put up those different mandates on them. But... In the midst of all that, Paul comes in tired, right? I told you 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. He, he later says that his gospel message that he preached to the people was to them foolishness and to the Jews a stumbling block. 
He felt like his message was just not being heard. He was tired and trembling and fearful. All these things played into when he's coming into Corinth and you're coming into, and, and, and you know, I don't preach into holidays. I preach, I hope that we preach from the word of God. We don't preach about holidays. We're not dictated by culture. We hopefully speak into culture. But as we go into a new year, we celebrate this. You guys, it's on your mind. You're, some of you may be thinking New Year's resolutions. Some of you think, may be thinking about how to lead your family different or yourself different. You're thinking about all these different things things. And as you think about these things, Paul is walking into a new city where he's going to spend more time than the majority of cities he goes to. And he's going to spend a significant amount of time in this place with a new uh, church that has not been established, people who have not uh, been taught theology, who are not uh, providing financially for him. He's kind of just going into this unknown territory, weak and fearful and trembling. Maybe you, like me, if I'm being a little vulnerable, walking into 2022, faced with what we see in front of us, sometimes I get a little frustrated. Some of you may be leading businesses, leading in healthcare environments. Maybe new policies are being put back on you. You're just frustrated. Maybe you're just tired of two years, some three years, or whatever we've been in this season of pandemic, epidemic mode. You're just tired. Some of you have lost somebody who you cared about. No matter where you are, we're walking into a season just going, man, God, when? Like, if you're with me, it's like, when, God, can we move forward? You know, I talked to a couple in the last service who said they met their nephew for the first time in over a year. Uh, in a year. They'd never met their nephew before because of COVID. I'm just weary. Paul goes into Corinth weary, beaten, persecuted. Nobody listens to his messages in many cities. He's been traveling and traveling and traveling. He's had dissension on his team. He's just tired. And look at what happens. Look at what God does. Acts chapter 18. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And, and guys, going into Corinth, tired and weary, he finds two tent makers a married couple who made tents. He was a tent maker too. Some of like he worked with leather. Um, but he kind of finds like a familiarity with them, right? Like, have you ever been that way? Like uh, you walk into an environment where there's like maybe say 50 people and you don't, you can maybe go with somebody, but you like don't know a lot of people there. And then all of a sudden you see that one person that's like, he was your best friend for like 20 years and you hadn't seen him in a while. Or maybe it's just somebody you just know from work or something, but you're like, I know somebody. Like, I can go sit with that person. Are y'all with me? Y'all ever done that before? You walk in an environment, you're like, whew, I know somebody. I'm not going to be alone in this, right? I think for Paul, like, he's going into a city tired and weary and all these things. I think Priscilla and Aquila, and later we're going to see Crispus and Timothy and Silas, they just bring encouragement to him. So I, w- I, w- I want you to see this every time. God's going to put people around Paul and then he's going to preach the gospel. Verse 5. 
When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Silas and Timothy, right? Those are those two that you kind of like, if you're in a difficult season, if you feel like you're frustrated, maybe you're feeling alone, maybe you're sad, maybe you've struggled with some different things. And then all of a sudden that person walks up to you and they're that person that when they just touch you, like they give you a hug or they just put their arm around you. Or maybe it's just like a couple words they speak into you. And it's those words that you're just like, man, I needed to hear that. I just needed that comfort. Like I just needed that encouragement. Thank you for being what I needed in that moment. I think Timothy and Silas somewhat most likely would have been that for, uh, for Paul. That's probably why Luke records it in Acts. He's tired and weary. And here come Timothy and Silas. The guys who have been faithful with him, have established churches with him, have been persecuted with him, have been rejected with him, have been in prison, and, and, and all this different stuff have happened to them. So they had created a bond with one another where they fought through different battles. Every battle that came to them, God was with them and, and pushed them through it. And so with that, Paul knows, man, if he's going to face a battle in Corinth, he's got Timothy and Silas by him. I know, uh, the guys that I want by my side if I'm going into a difficult situation. I know, I know the ones that I want with me. Do you know the people that you want around you when you're facing temptation? Do you know the ones you want around you when you're facing just difficult uh, relational questions and problems that come about in your own life? Do you know the people that you want around you when you lose somebody that you love? Do you know those people that you just need around you? Timothy and Silas, Priscilla and Aquila. And look what he does. When Timothy and Silas arrived, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 6, when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook off his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Like you can just see, he's frustrated or tired and, and fearful and all these different things coming into Corinth. And God just works all of these things out. Here's Timothy and Silas, uh, Crispus. Here's all these people that are surrounding around him. In fact, Priscilla and Aquila would later go on to fight battles with him. They're going to later become missionaries with him. These people were just surrounding around him. Not to mention that Crispus was a leader in the synagogue, which allowed him opportunity to preach in the synagogue, which also allowed him opportunity to have some, some uh, like a status in the city. When people, when Jews would say, who's this Paul guy? Like, I don't know about his message. Maybe Crispus would respond, no, no, no I, know that. I know that guy. And I know his Savior. In fact, his whole family would say the same thing. Yeah, I know the Lord Jesus Christ that he preaches. And so Paul surrounds him with people that he needs in his own life. Are you surrounding yourself with people that you need in the midst of your weakness? Are you putting people around you who can strengthen you? Because they're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. So do you see in every instance, people around him, he preaches. People around him, he preaches. And here comes Jesus in a dream, speaking directly to Paul. And what's the next thing he does? 18 months in preaching. 
It's that kind of sustaining, that kind of strength that Paul needed to be able to do what God had called him to do. And I know that each one of you need God's presence with you to do what God has called you to do, whether that's loving your spouse or encouraging your friends or being faithful in the midst of temptation or enduring in the midst of fear and frustration or having wisdom to do what is right long-term for your life. We all need to be seeking God and seeking to put people around us that can push us towards what God has for us. But look at what happens here. So God puts people around him, but then the Lord Jesus comes to him directly. And here's what he does. So take this away from today. He does a few things here. First, rebuking strengthens Paul. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he's fearful, he's tired. Right? He's trembling. What's the first thing Jesus says to him? Don't be afraid. Paul, let me remind you not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think there are seasons where we need to recognize that rebuking is not about our weakness. It's about becoming strong. Not by what we can do, but what Christ can do in us. Rebuking is not about uh, uh, fleshing out what is weak, but recognizing what can be strong. A lot of times in America, we reject being rebuked. We reject people uh, speaking into our life. I would challenge you today that rebuking is not about making you feel weak. Rebuking is about recognizing that weakness and declaring that there is a God who is strong, who can overcome that weakness in you. Don't be afraid. He says, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. Rebuking, is, rebuking strengthens us, but so does obedience. You see, I, uh, there's like three things in my life that I really know, that, I, that I, I'm passionate about, uh, God's Word and, and being in the presence of God. My wife, we've been married for 10 years, and football. And of course, my whole family, children. I, yeah, I put children above football. Um, love Bracken and Evie. But I, 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 I did football for 12 years. Uh, I, I woke up early, 5, 6 a.m., to get to the field to practice, to, be, to get stronger, to get quicker, to, get, to be able to throw better, to be able to run the plays more accurately. Our team had to do this together. We all got onto the field. We memorized plays together. We knew where each other were going. If one failed, we all failed. We had to be together. We had to do obedience together. We had to have discipline together. We were all there for hours during the summer for, just to, be, to get better. It was an obedience that led us to be better. We were a better team because we were obedient. Because we were disciplined. I learned that in football, but I can apply that to my own life. I can apply that to how I engage my own spiritual disciplines. I think that what we need to do as Christians and understand as brothers and sisters in Christ is that Christ calls us simply to be faithful, to continue that obedience. Now, we cannot do this alone. You see, that's where we mess up. Yes, we are called to obedience, but we can't do that obedience alone. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit into our life, not just so that we can be forgiven, but so that we can be faithful, that we can live in uh, freedom to do what God has called us to do. Like Galatians would tell us, we're going to walk in step with the Spirit. We're going to live out that love that Christ actually called us to do, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. We're going to follow after Christ in doing uh, what He did and living like he lived. And we're going to put on greatest display in front of people. The greatest thing we can do is put on display that love for one another, as Jesus Christ would say. It is how people know that we follow him. 
So we have an obedience. It's different than football and it's different than marriage, but, but it's following after Jesus and it, and it plays out in every sector of our own lives. And for Paul, it was this, look, don't be afraid, but keep doing what I've told you to do. Be obedient. So rebuking strengthens us, but obedience strengthens us. And God's presence and promise strengthens us. Verse 10, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. God's presence is with you and his presence is strength. It's a promise that we can trust, that we can believe in, that we can cling on to. You see, Paul's rebuking and his obedience is dependent upon Christ being with him. For me, it reminds me of Moses. Remember Moses? He's like, man, I can't go to Egypt. I can't go back there. God, do you know what they will do to me? Do you know what they've seen? I'm not going back to Egypt to set the captives free, to set the slaves free. I'm not going back. And it's almost like God's like, what do you need? I'll provide it. Like, Moses is so weak in these moments. Like he, and it's hard to even say that, but I think when we recognize our own weakness, we can kind of relate to Moses and go, Moses is like, man, I need somebody to go with me. And God's like, okay, here he goes. Like, he's going to go with you. He's going to speak for you because you think you can't speak. Just go. Just be faithful. I'll provide what you need. Not only does God send somebody to be with him, but God goes with him, and he is actually the one who does the work that Moses prophesies. In our life, I think what we often do is we... We look at situations and we face these difficult situations, tired and weary and afraid, trembling and all these frustrations in our life. And we look at every situation and we just simply ask, okay, how am I going to get out of that? How am I going to work through this? I think that's the wrong question. What if we started asking God, what are you going to give me to make it through? God, what are you doing in my heart to help me persevere through this? How are you strengthening me in this moment? If we try to do things on our own, all we're going to do is recognize our weakness. But when we do things with Christ, our weakness, though it may be recognized, we get to see God's strength put on full display. That's what happened with Moses. Yes, he was weak, but he was faithful. And when he was faithful, God's strength showed out. It, it showed up, and, and, and Pharaoh got to see on full display this God. This God who reigned over all things. So what are you choosing in your life? What does it look like for you to, get, to ask God, God, what, do I, what needs to be rebuked in me? This week, daily, what needs to be rebuked in me? What am I holding on to, clinging on to for strength that is actually making me weak? What do I need to be obedient in? I, 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 walk through, look at what happens to Paul after this. I, th- I think that what happens in Corinth sets Paul up for the rest of his ministry throughout Acts says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was op- uh, about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, uh, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But none of these things mattered to Gallio. Do you see what happens here? God strengthens Paul, people around him, strengthens Paul with people around him. He like, does this multiple times. Jesus shows up to him, strengthens him, says, I'm not going to let anybody touch you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to let anybody kill you. I'm going to be with you. And then Luke shows us like an exact example of the Lord strengthening him. And helping him to persevere through. I, that strengthening allows Paul 
to do something special. And I think it's going to allow you to do something special in your own life, your family, your sphere of influence, and those around you. Look at verse 18 with me. We're going to read through 22. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. There they go with him, right? Isn't that amazing? It's so awesome. He shaved his head at Chantria because of a vow he had taken. And when they reached Ephesus, he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus, and on landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Persia, and strengthening the disciples. We can easily skip over that phrase. But what God was doing in Paul in Corinth for 18 months was preparing him from go, to go to place to place, from city to city. He spent 18 months in Corinth, and then all of a sudden he bounces around to different cities to do what? Strengthen. The strength God gave him in Corinth, which he later writes about in First and Second Corinthians, to say, in my weakness, he is made strong, like he is my strength. My God is my strength. And so city to city, Paul goes to strengthen the disciples with the strength that God had given him in Corinth. Sometimes we've got to go through these valleys. Sometimes through these frustrations, this weariness and this being tired and frustrated and struggling and being tempted, we go through those seasons because when we get out of it, there's those around us that we can go to. For, for brothers and sisters around us, each group that we have, have friendships and families and co-workers and all these different groups we go to, strengthening them with the strength that God has given you. Strengthening all the disciples. Did you notice in there, instead of Chantria, he shaved his head. I'm not challenging everybody in this room to go to shave your head or to take a Nazaritic vow of some sort, uh, which is what he most likely did. But I would ask you, because when Paul leaves, he kind of recognizes, man, he's got to stay near to the Lord. I think that's what he's doing with this Nazarite vow, is he's separating himself out from the things of this world. And he's trying to focus in solely on God's presence so that he has the strength to go city to city to strengthen the disciples. Today, what do you need to set aside? What needs to be rebuked in your life? What do you need to become obedient in that you've been disobedient in? What have you been trying to find strength in from this world that's only been making you weak? What we enjoy, what we like, is not often what makes us strong, what makes us have joy truly in this world. I think it's not always appetizing or not always do we want to pursue after the Lord. Sometimes we think that the things of this world might be better. But if you would join me, I challenge you. I challenge you to consider what it would be like to pursue after Christ and Him alone this season this year, whatever it looks like for you, for the rest of your life. To pursue after God to be your strength. And in our weakness, being made strong, both Christ is in us. Brothers and sisters, we... Two, two years ago, I had my staff go through a book called Canoe in the Mountains. Well, you can't canoe a mountain. <laughs> it's 
uncharted territories. Sometimes we don't know what's ahead of us. Sometimes we try to carry canoes on mountains and try to ride upstreams. It just doesn't work. We don't necessarily know what is in front of us, but we do know who is going with us. Paul did not know what he would face at every city, but he knew that God was with him. And setting aside the things of this world, he trusted that if God was with him, he could have the strength he needed to push on. Will you press forward with me? Protect your mind. Protect your heart. Protect your actions. Don't let the darkness of this world, the cloudiness of this season, the frustrations, being tired or being weak, don't let them control you. Don't let them bring you down. Because we fight together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and uh, we're going to sing the same song we sang um, at the beginning of this service. I know it was new to you guys. Um, maybe you've heard it occasionally, but I, I think, I hope that it's our battle cry. That when we fight, we don't fight alone. That when we fight, we fight with Christ in us, Christ for us. In fact, in the Old Testament, it even tells us that he fights our battles for us. Not that we don't have to do anything, but that on our behalf, he goes with us. And maybe you feel like you can't. Maybe you feel like you've lost hope. I know the God of hope. I know a God who has a plan for you. I know a God who never gave up on you. And I know he doesn't want you to give up on yourself or your family or your children or your grandchildren or your friends. This is not the time for the church to back down. This is time for the church to battle with linked arms and the Spirit of God in us. We will overcome. So I ask my wife to pray for you, and we're going to sing this last song with you. And maybe, man, if you will just join me in letting this be the prayer, the cry of our hearts. As we leave to run in the midst of a world that is dark, we're going to light it up. As we leave to run in the midst of a world that is weak, hopefully we'll strengthen it. But it starts here, being strengthened by brothers and sisters, that we might go out there and find those who are hurting and broken and lost and weak and tired and weary and trembling and show them a God who is strong. Let's pray. God, we just come to you. We thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you how, God, it can transform us. How, Father, we can see new things every time we hear from you, Lord. I pray that, God, that as we enter into this new year, Father, and there's so many different things, we're not sure how it's going to go, and some of us may be weary and tired, some of us may be joyful. Father, you know where we are. God, you meet us where we are. And Lord, no matter where we are in our life right now, may this always be our cry, that our battles belong to you. They are not ours to fight alone, but we fight with our brothers and sisters and with you, God. We love you. We thank you for that promise. In your name we pray.
you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.